Welcome to Inside the Natural State. This is your host, Steve, and joining me this week is my co-host, Andy. Andy, how you doing tonight, man? Pretty good. How about you? Man, I can't complain. It's been a pretty good weekend. We had a we had yes, quite the quite was. the adventurous weekend, I would say, didn't we? Uh, it wasn't too bad. I mean, got to got to take in the the, uh, the Diamond Hogs on Friday um, from from pretty, from pretty good seats. Nah, they weren't bad at all. And then a little media availability on Saturday. Um, I mean, I got to enjoy most of that. But uh, good seats, I told good you time. You should have got some of the food and you didn't listen. I know it. I'm mad at myself for not going in there. We passed it. And I was like, man, that smells good in there. And then I realized as we were walking up the tunnel that that was somewhere I could have gone. And I will never get why they have barbecue pork. On a hog game day. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I think it? they'd have beef or something. You think they'd have something? I mean, eh, I don't know, whatever. It's, I guess it's the easiest to cater. It smelled good, whatever oh, it was. Yeah, I don't it, know whose it was. It was right. But it smelled real good. So, tough news to report on to start the pod uh, with the news of Cottrell Wallace being arrested on sac- sexual assault charges. Uh, as many of you know, he is a, uh, a signee of the University of Arkansas's uh, 2020 class. Um, I'm not going to report on rumors, um, but it does not look good at this point. So we'll see how things play out. Remember, folks, that it's innocent until proven guilty. Um, so let's not pass judgment on a kid until you get all the story. Yeah, he's young. Let's keep an open mind with it. Yeah. You know, so I had a, I'm trying to pull this back up on my, on social media real quick. Cause, uh, man, my children are loud. Um, so kind of got into it with a guy today because he started talking about, you know, he said, this guy says, uh, and this was actually on our natural state sports Facebook page said, well, he'll fit right in with the rest of the Razorbacks that have been arrested. So I, t- I mean, I, I responded Ooh. And, uh, talking about Cottrell Wallace. Well, I'm talking about the rest of the Razorbacks. Right. Well, that was my point. I was like, hold up. You do realize that over the last four or five years, Arkansas has been one of the lowest in terms of, in terms of players being arrested. So that's when I can really remember that was serious with Sprinkle, and that was that's been a long time the, ago. Yeah, exactly. That's been a while. Yeah. Well, the biggest one. I mean, you think about it, since two thousand. So I asked him because I don't. I mean, before two thousand sixteen, there was a lot of turmoil. You had different things going on. So I mean, I, I look at it over the last four or five year time frame. Who? So how many players do you think we've had arrested in that time frame? Four since two thousand sixteen. I'm going with four. You are one hundred percent correct. Four players arrested. July 2018. I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. Mike Woods was arrested for DUI and minor in possession. Dummy. December 2018. And this is really the most significant of the charges. D. Walker was arrested on gun and drug charges. That was the big one. And I it was, remember that. I, if I remember that one correctly, it was December. It was the season was over. And that was the end of the Bielema and into Morris stuff. And so I don't remember D Walker playing too much. So. No, no, he didn't. May, 2019. Here's a guy that didn't play much. Cooper Lucas charged with minor in possession and public intox. And I think there was a fleeing charge in there because he ran away. I mean, that sounds like every college kid in America, just about. So I don't understand the issue there. Uh, we can't be like that Tennessee boy or over there is a little bit ago. Right. I think it was earlier this, uh, last year. So That was earlier this year. You're talking about the one that picked the cop up and like body slammed him or the yeah, other one? They, they've had a couple. They had that one <laughs> and then the one that was cussing the cops from the backseat of the cop car. Oh, the, yeah. He called yeah, his called coach. and yeah. Oh, yeah. Pruitt made the comments about well, can't believe they treat them like treat the players like that here or something. That was a bad <laughs> deal. Uh, and then in December of 19, Dion Stewart was charged with DWI. No. What college kid usually doesn't drink? Right. And I mean, I'm not, we're not going to, we're not sitting here excusing a DWI, but no. geez, man, like really? So that's it. Been in that much trouble. That's Four. The point of that. 
on a team that can have 125 players on their roster. So in four years, 500 student athletes have gone through this program. Four have been arrested. Four. That's just on the football team. Yeah. And so, you know, so I, I sent those, those facts to this dude and he hadn't responded. So I just found that interesting. I think there's this narrative that the, the, all these SEC college football players are getting arrested and, and there are some programs that have some issues. I mean, Florida, obviously Ohio State, um, Ohio State's had their fair share of issues. And so, I mean, there's no question that there's some, there's some issues there. Um, but at Arkansas, there's not, we've, this program for as bad as it's been, and maybe it's because we have anything to celebrate. So we're not out acting a fool and, and getting arrested after big wins. I don't know, but club dub. Yeah. They, they, they only got to go there once. Oh, thank God it's been retired. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so I don't, I don't know. That just kind of bugged me the whole, the way that whole thing went down. Um, but in good news out in Razorback nation, the women's basketball team, they did go one and one last week, but let's be real from what I understand. And you were, we were talking about this a little bit before we got started, but um, it does seem that, uh, that Arkansas got screwed against Florida um, there at the end. I think a review that was obvious. It was Visual Arkansas. replay showed it to be that her foot was in bounds from what I was hearing earlier. Yeah. So and they still turned the ball over to Florida. Shocker, Florida, an, Florida an, an officiating Arkansas. issue at Florida. No, no way that never happens. Right. No, not at all. Yeah, so they went one and one last week. They did beat Tennessee eighty three seventy five. Lost to Florida eighty three to eighty. That puts the women's team now at twenty one and six, nine and five in the SEC, which is fourth um, in the SEC. They did fall out of the top twenty five this week to basically number twenty six. And ESPN Bracketology has them uh, as a seven seed playing Purdue out in Raleigh. So the women's team is rolling. Um, I think gymnastics. Uh, we should have went to that, man. You know, they were given tickets for free. Hey. Hey, no lie. Don't pair, Don't pull a Barry Booker over there. Okay, um, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, we're not pulling a Barry Booker. Uh, we don't want to have to kick you off the radio for a couple of weeks. Um, but they had like 6,000 people at that at that match or whatever you call those. That, that's a, you usually have that at Barnhill, don't they? Yes, I believe that. Yes, Barnhill. You've never been in there. I, well, I've been in there, but not for an event. And so I was, that would have been neat, man. 6,000 people, like the students apparently go kind of crazy in there. So a lot of good, a lot of good stuff going on on the Hill. Um, you know, we got, of course, got to take a bunch of it in. So we'll talk about our experiences here, and, here in just a bit. Too. Yeah. Yeah. The parking was, was pretty darn good. I can't, can't complain about, uh, about uh, where we got to park and, and how we were treated throughout this week. It was, it was pretty awesome. So when we get back, we will be joined by the man behind the Hogball blog. You guys are not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Support for this episode of Inside the Natural State is provided by Mountain Valley Spring Water. Bottled continuously since 1871 right here in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Mountain Valley Spring Water has been the go-to for U.S. Presidents, Elvis, Sugar Ray Robinson, and even Triple Crown winner Secretariat. Visit mountainvalleyspring.com to find your local distributor today. For the first time in four weeks, Arkansas wins here. Five-game losing streak is snapped. The Hogs needed to protect home court. Four games remaining to continue to boost the resume. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us now is Mr. Hogball Blog himself. Welcome, man. How are you doing tonight? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. 
No problem, man. I mean, you, you put out a few weeks ago that you wanted to start a podcast, so then I suckered you into coming in with us. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty much how it worked out. <laughs> right? He did the same thing to me. Well, that's uh, the, the other voice you hear over there is my co-host, Andy. Um, so, uh, man, we look forward to having you on and, and really chopping up some of this basketball stuff that's been going on. Um, it's it's good to have a have a uh, another voice here that has some good uh, good insight on basketball. Yeah, man, I'm excited to just talk some hog hoops and uh, kind of get my feet wet in the podcasting game. Sounds good, man. Well, let's get this thing going. We're going to start off with a little sound of Isaiah Joe's first three. Lacks the attention he deserves. Right up in Joe's face, and he throws it. So the crowd pretty well exploded on that first shot that Joe hit, and it was nice to see him, you know, find some rhythm. Scored twenty one. Um, you know, sitting in uh, in in the post game press conference, Must talked about his his minutes, and the plan wasn't really to play him thirty seven. But then he said he wished he'd played him a couple of more. So, what were your thoughts on Joe returning, and 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 how how he how he kind of plugged some pieces and some holes in what this team's been going through the last few weeks? Man, it, it was huge to get Isaiah back. And I, I kind of put out today, um, I had a few different screenshots of just how much different the, the team looks with him on the floor. The, the spacing is so much better. You have defenders who, even when they're supposed to be in help side or even if they're just one pass away and they're supposed to be denying the ball, they're still playing out on the three-point line. And so they're still far enough out that the middle is wide open. And I can tell you, the whole team is happy that Isaiah Joe is back, but there might not be a single person happier about his return than Jimmy Witt. Um, With Isaiah Joe out of the lineup, Jimmy Witt was uh, not shooting well from the floor at all. He was 18 out of 55 from the floor without Joe. That's because the middle was so clogged up. He was shooting 32% from the field, and he's 49% on the year. Just in those five, in those five games without Isaiah Joe, he's thirty two percent. So he really missed having that spacing and open up that middle for him. Yeah, he was he was a big big piece, and I you I think a couple of folks made that that uh, the point about Wit and the fact that he was so he was able to find his spot. I mean he's he's obviously been you know pretty unstoppable in that little mid range game, and and it, and they they just didn't allow the the you other had side to, give to him that respect. Yeah, it just didn't give him a, give him a chance to sag down on him, and 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 then you know it opened every, it opened things up definitely for for Wit. You know Desi, um, man, what can we say about Desi? Dude had a had an absolute monster game as well. Man, Desi has been ever. I, I put out another stat too. I've been kind of keeping track of his shooting uh, performance from behind the arc uh, all season. He missed his first 18 uh, on the year. He started out over 18, but since the Austin P game, he's shooting over 40% from the three point line. He, he has been remarkable uh, behind the arc uh, down the stretch. And, uh, really looking reminiscent of Jesse Seals from last year. So one thing that I noticed throughout the game um, was, you know, early on Arkansas really struggled defensively. They, you know, Missouri was at one point shooting like almost eighty percent from three. I mean, they, it was it was pretty pretty crazy how how easy it seemed that Missouri could you know could get get open there early. I don't know. Do you think that had anything with Joe and 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 his spacing and getting getting his legs back under him on the defensive side, or was that just you know the, the way we crashed the middle? Um, you know, more so, which left kind of the corners open. 
I don't, I don't know what my opinion on that is right now. Um, just looking at different film, it, did, it didn't look like Joe was too much out of position. Um, it, it looked like there was a lot of help rotating. It looked like Pinson was doing a good job of, of driving the middle and, and forcing help side to come down and open up those corners. But we got kind of lucky that they, they, they hit some early on. We got kind of lucky that they missed a few there uh, in the first half. And then we, we adjusted well and uh, contested most of them in the second half where they wouldn't hit. But I think a lot of it, wasn't necessarily being out of position as it was just getting beat off the dribble and having to collapse. Yeah, and Martin made the comment after the game that they asked him about um, how you know how Arkansas defended inside, and you know they had a lot of they had a lot of success with that up in in uh, Columbia the last time, and it seemed like Arkansas really focused on on getting in the passing lanes and keeping the ball from getting inside as much as they could in this one. Oh yeah, no doubt, and, and that's that's the common theme with the Arkansas team this year is the lack of size and, and trying to pre- prevent pass from getting inside, trying to prevent um, big men dominating games. And Missouri obviously doesn't have anybody like a Kerry Blackshear or a Nick Richards or and anybody like that down low, but they're still an SEC program with a couple of quality big men. And if you let them take over the game, you're in trouble because you have a six, six, five with Adriel Bailey, who, Man, he plays with all of his heart, and he, he he's as big as he can be. <laughs> I mean, at six six, he plays like he's what six nine, maybe. But geez, at least it, it he seems. Like, yeah, he he seems like a man among boys at times in there, even at his size. And you had that big block. What was that? I can't remember. If that was early in the second half that got called Just a foul that made absolutely no sense. Uh, oh yeah, and then his fifth foul that frustrated me whenever it was a jump ball. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, didn't make any sense. I, you know, and that was something that I made comments about as we were going through. You know, I think it was uh, under the under twelve before there was ever a foul called in that game, and it seemed like early they were letting them pound and 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 beat on each other, and then all of a sudden it changed, and they were calling every ticky tack foul the rest of the game that there was uh, that was out there. And that's always been one of my biggest criticisms of, of any official crew. Doesn't matter what level, high school, college, professional, uh, no matter what conference that. It, just be consistent. You can be consistently bad. You can be consistently good. You can consistently call every little foul. You can consistently call um, very little and just let them play, so to speak. But if you're inconsistent, if you're calling a ticky-tack foul in the first half and you're, you're letting them play in the second half, players can't adjust. Players can adjust to bad officials. They know the game well enough. But if you're a bad official and you're inconsistent, there's no adjusting. Right. Absolutely. And that was so frustrating because I thought, you know, as we started, I thought, well, man, they're, they're going to let them play. And then, and then it just completely changed and a little frustrating, but uh, we've dealt with that, like you said, all season. One other question. It's conference. Go ahead. You're good. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say one other question that I had that, that, um, that I'm just curious about. So, so Jalen Harris has seemingly struggled in the final minute of the last couple of games. Is he just trying to do too much? I mean, what's, what's your thoughts on that? So I think I, I am a Jalen Harris fan. I've I've kind of been a critic of his in the past of kind of his style of play. But uh, this year, I think he's played really well. And I think what gets him in the trouble, he still has uh, on the season of 1.69 assist to turnover ratio. Um, so pushing up towards the two, two to one ratio. Um, in the stretch without Isaiah Joe, I mean, he, he only had one game where he didn't have an assist and had three turnovers. That was Tennessee. 
I think where he gets in trouble is when he tries to do too much. He tries to um, kind of get ahead of himself. He, he does things that he doesn't characteristic, characteristically do. When he plays within himself, when he's penetrating and dishing, or when he is, um, he has he has this this swagger about him when he's bringing the ball to the court, or when, he, when he's pushing the ball, he's really good in transition. Um, he, he's throwing that uh, ball to Mason uh, between his legs when Mason's trailing a lot, and, and and that stuff is great. And I love his his swagger and his confidence when he does all that. But when it's in the final minute and it's a close game, I feel like sometimes his experience and his kind of his need to feel like he needs to do something. Uh, he pushes a little bit and he might drive and then get in the lane and try to put up a floater or a contested layup that he doesn't shoot many of at all in general, but towards the end of the game, he might take one or two more. Uh, he might make a bad pass like he threw, uh, was that against, yeah, where he threw the turnaround pass in the yeah. lane. Uh, oh. And that kind of stuff is frustrating. I don't think that kind of stuff should keep him off the floor late. But it's kind of stuff that definitely needs to be corrected. I think it's just it, he needs to play more within himself. Because it doesn't happen every game. But we can easily it, – it's easy to look and say, man, if Jalen hadn't done that, or man, look what Jalen did late this game, this game, this game. It's been a handful of games where he has, but – well, hopefully they, you know, they continue to tighten things up. I mean, we've so I've been following uh, this the teamrankings.com site is is seems to be a pretty good uh, site to get a lot of good info. One of my favorites. Love and, that site. Yeah, and I found it interesting. So, you know, last week we were about a 35% chance to make the tournament. Um, this week came out and we're at a 31% chance to make the tournament. Obviously, <laughs> Uh, losing that the one game last week didn't help our help our chances. Uh, right now, most likely seed is a ten. Um, you know, with Joe back, I mean, obviously the confidence comes back. Uh, the floor space is better. There's another scoring threat. What what do you what do you put the odds on this team making the tournament at this point? Well, let me start off by saying, as far as our percentage going down after last week, even though we won that game um, against Missouri there were so many other teams and so many other big wins that it makes a whole lot of sense how we kind of got leapfrogged. Um, and moving forward, I, I don't know a percentage, um, especially with this team kind of starting off slow in games and having to fight them, themselves back into them. I'm just going to say, just win, baby. Um, <laughs> if, we, if we make the tournament, it's going to be because we win the games we're supposed to. You, you look at the other bubble teams in, in the SEC. You have Mississippi State, Bama, and South Carolina, each on the bubble with us, each ahead of us on the bubble right now uh, in most uh, bracket matrix. Uh, but they all play each other down the stretch, every single one of them. Um, so they're going to hurt themselves. We And we don't play any of them down the stretch. All we need to do really – just take care of our own business. We can we can manage to win all but one game and be fine. Um, now, if we have to lose one game, this might come as a shock. I would most rather that game be Georgia, um, because LSU, <clears throat> excuse me, LSU gives you an NCAA tournament team that you're beating, and it's a quad one victory. Georgia, it would be. I believe that game's on the road, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah, it's at Georgia. That, that's a road conference game that would be great to add to the resume, but their net is still high enough to where it doesn't hurt you too bad. It doesn't hurt you like losing at home to a Tennessee because that game can really help you out. 
Um, it doesn't it doesn't hurt you like losing to LSU at home because that's your last chance at a quad one win. So if we have to lose one, let's let it be UGA. But let's let's just try to win out if if at all possible. I say we can make the tournament. If you want me to put a percentage chance on it, I'm, I'm going to say it's a sixty percent chance we make the NCAA tournament. So so how many wins do you think Arkansas has when the season's up? Counting, counting let's even count the tournament or the the SEC tournament. Counting the SEC tournament. Yep. Oh gosh. <laughs> so I'm thinking spot, we're spot. gonna Yeah. So I think we're gonna end up going three and one to close out the season. I think we go twenty and eleven, finish eight eight and ten in conference. There are so many variables and in, in, in conference placement and who we play and seeding in the conference tournament, but I'll go ahead and have us down in a tournament setting. I'll have us winning two. And and that'll probably be without a buy. So you have to play in the first weekend, and, or they have double buys now. So we right. get a first round buy, but not the second buy. So we'll, we'll win the first round and might sneak one out in the second round. Probably finish twenty two and eleven in the regular season. So man, bad first year. It's not. It's an amazing first year when you think about where this team was when Musk took it over and what he's had to do with the roster. But I've, so you said about a sixty percent chance to make the tournament was your feel. So historically, teams with 22 wins get, have about a 54% chance to make the tournament. So we're right on it. They get to 22, they seem to be in a good spot. If they can somehow get to 23, that number goes up to about 76%. So um, obviously, like you said, just win, baby. It makes more sense to get as many W's as you can down the stretch, and that'll get them in. That's all that really matters. What, 17 and 10 oh, right yeah. now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you can get five or six to close the season now, you, you're almost set in the tournament for sure. Well, and one thing that that does too, um, it'll let the selection committee know, hey, this is a different Arkansas team when they have Isaiah Joe. They'll look and see that we're one and five without Isaiah Joe, but if we manage to win twenty plus games, say we do finish twenty two and and eleven, um, if, you ha- if you're one and five without Isaiah or without Isaiah Joe, and you're twenty two and eleven on the year, well, you're twenty one and six with Isaiah Joe. Yeah. yeah, and I mean historically now the the committee has taken that into an account and into account as well, right? Oh yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. if if you close out the year with these wins, bringing in Isaiah Joe back, and I don't know how much weight they'll put onto it this late in the year, um, and for such a small sample size being the last five games, maybe, but it's something they'll definitely take into consideration at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and you would almost—I mean, you got to think they almost have to at this point. I mean, it's obvious how important he is, and 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 it's obviously having a second shooter, a second scoring threat for anybody is going to make a huge difference. But Joe's just a difference maker all the way around. So uh, you would hope they would take that into account. This team can get to that twenty-two win mark. I think that gets them in the tournament for sure. Um, so you had some interesting information uh, on on your Twitter uh, over the last couple of days. There's been a lot of talk. I think. Uh, John Rothstein tried to put put out a tweet talking about uh, Calipari as coach of the year, um, and and you uh, you had some good responses there. Uh, talk a little bit about coach of the year and, and and what you think and where that should go. So yet again, this is another situation in the SEC with a bunch of moving parts right now. Um, you had A and M Buzz Williams taking over A and M looked really bad to start the year. They had a couple of just really terrible losses early. Of late, they've come on strong. They are eight and six in conference right now. Buzz Williams is the first year head coach at A and M. 
and he's kind of a dark horse to win SEC Coach of the Year. But unfortunately, I think A and M loses out and finishes eight and ten. So I don't think that losing your final four games and finishing with a fourteen and sixteen overall record would give you the Coach of the Year. And that's obviously subject to change. Still has to play those games, but he's playing a lot of tough competition in those games. Some of the top teams in the conference. You also have Frank Martin again. I love Frank Martin as, as a person. I hate his South Carolina team. Start <laughs> no off doubt. in the non-conference. Start off in the non-conference playing mediocre, underachieving, and then now he's 16-11, 8-6 in conference. Um, has a decent pass to, to win two or three more games. Has a decent pass to get his team off the bubble and in the NCAA tournament. If South Carolina makes the NCAA tournament, you could throw him into consideration for SEC Coach of the Year. Obviously, all the Arkansas fans know about Eric Musselman. Um, definitely should be in consideration. Um, I don't think you can throw Calipari in, in the mix. He's always in the mix. He, he can be in consideration, quote-unquote, just for the fact that Kentucky's good again. Um, they were picked first uh, in the league preseason. They're going to finish first, more than likely. Um, they had a tough non-conference schedule on paper to start the year. Um, actually got into an argument with a Kentucky fan about this. He was touting their non-conference wins over number one, Michigan State and North Carolina. And North Carolina has a losing record now. And Michigan State is not even ranked anymore. Um, and they also had a loss against a loss against Evansville. So yeah, it's, it's not the same. Tough, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I think they've lost the team straight now, and they lost their coach halfway through the season because yep. of a sexual assault scandal. Yep. So. That's yeah, a good company for Calipari to lose to. Right. And it's frustrating too. I mean, to me, you so I get it. It's the supposedly the best team. They'll probably win the SEC when it's all said and done. Uh I just I don't the guy does less with more every year, it seems like, and and gets rewarded for it. So I'm with you. I mean, a guy like what Muss has done, I mean, as a homer, I mean what Muss has done is, is nothing short of incredible. I don't think he's going to get the credit he deserves for it from from a lot. I mean, obviously, those that pay attention and understand the situation should, you know, they're going to give him the credit he deserves. But I think I do think a lot of people are going to overlook what Muss has done, especially if this team ends up finishing, you know, eighth or ninth in the SEC. And and so I don't know. Um, but you had some great you had some great arguments in there. I did. I did see the uh, the Kentucky part, which was pretty awesome. Um, and, and it makes sense. I mean, you want to know what teams are doing now and when a team is struggling at this point and, and, you know, like North Carolina has all year. And then of course where Michigan state's fallen to, I mean, heck it's, it's hard to, it's hard, you know, it's hard to count those as big quality wins just because of the name on the Jersey. Right. But you, you can still give them credit for beating, uh, they beat Louisville and they beat someone else who was a pretty, pretty good team early in the season too. But I will say, I think who ends up winning coach of the year this year, uh, I'm going to say Bruce Pearl, and yeah. I, I don't really, I don't really want to say it. I don't like to say it. <laughs> I don't like um, you saying it either. <laughs> I, I don't want to say it. I just think that's who they're going to end up picking as coach of the year. They likely win out. I have them beating Kentucky. Uh, I think it's at Kentucky uh, in one of their last games on the year. They'll likely finish with 30 wins again. Uh, they went out. They're twenty-seven and four, fourteen and four in conference. Um, 
I just I have a hard time believing that they won't pick Bruce Pearl to be coach of the year. Yeah, and they've I mean they have had an impressive season. That would be an impre- impressive finish. I mean, to come back from where they started, that would that would be a good run. So as we look forward to the next couple of games, um, we've got uh, according to team rankings, we actually have the uh, the easiest remaining game and the toughest remaining game back to back here with Tennessee and Georgia. Um, sixty eight percent chance to beat Tennessee at home, and then a fifty seven ish percent. I can't see. I'm blind. Yeah, fifty seven percent chance to beat Georgia on the road. How do you uh, how do you see those two games playing out? Man, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of worried about both of them, and I'll tell you, I'm worried about Tennessee because their size and because Rick Barnes is a very good coach. Um, they have the Frenchman Pons. They have their two um, midseason additions with Vescovi and. Uh, Plazic, I think is how you say his name. He's a seven-footer. And Vescovi is a wizard with the ball. He can She's score it any way you want him to score it. Um, Fulkerson's probably going to be an all-SEC player this year, and we all know how dangerous Jordan Bowden is. It's going to be a tough game. Obviously, we weren't full strength, and we didn't play well at all at Tennessee, but you got to believe it's different at home, and... I'm hoping it's going to be different at home. I, I think we end up winning by five, maybe, but it's it's not going to be easy at all. Well, not many of them have been this year. They've taken us to the wire on every game. It just it seems like. Oh yeah, no doubt. And, and the the key against Georgia is just going to be how are we going to stop Anthony Edwards? And I don't even know who we're going to end up putting on Anthony Edwards. Is it going to be Adrio? Is it going to be Jimmy Witt? Or who who is it going to be? Jimmy Buckets. Um, could could be could even be Reggie Cheney. I mean, it's not like Reggie Cheney is um, not athletic and a prototypical center. I mean, he's six eight and extremely athletic. Anthony Edwards is six five, six six, and extremely athletic. So, I think I would p- prefer to have Adrio or Witt on him. But you you could also see Reggie Cheney guarding him too. You might throw some different looks at him. Um, but that's all it boils down to. There, they're they're a young team. They don't have a lot of talent some players that can flash every now and then but if we shut down Edwards I don't think we shut him down all the way he's going to be number one number two draft pick probably ends up putting up 20 or more on us we just got to try to keep that as quiet as possible well I'm my pick is Adrio he's he's impressed me defensively uh, all year so give me give me Adrio as our first shot there because I mean I know Witt's been fantastic as well but Adrio a little bigger yeah I, I like Adrio I like his toughness now he may foul out pretty quick yeah Ethan will foul out quick quick like five plays Hell, throw, throw Jamario Bell in there yeah exactly well, we don't just don't let... hurt the fella <laughs> I mean hey yeah, if, if you get Adrio in foul trouble now just throw, throw Jamario Bell in there That's a lot of meat bit yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least he's he, he's he's going to cover some space anyway. Oh yeah, he's sneaky, athletic too. He is, and Dan's got some legs, though. I tell you, we, it was funny. We were so, of course, we had the opportunity uh, to get media passes for the game this weekend, and we were down floor level watching pregame warmups, and and it is amazing to see the difference between a guy with football legs and a guy with basketball legs. <laughs> oh, I imagine. Twigs. <laughs> twigs. Poor, poor Isaiah Joe's legs are like little twigs, and they just, I mean, he could, it looks like Jamario's legs ate his legs about 10 times over. One of Jamario's calves is bigger than Isaiah Joe's both. Oh, yeah. Like combined. Yeah. Easy. 
So, man. Yeah, that, that's the shooter's leg versus a football player's leg. Right. Absolutely. Well, man, big thanks uh, for, for you uh, to joining us tonight, man. Um, yeah, man. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you guys having me on. I really thank you for letting me come on here and, I guess, spread my information and then just talk some basketball. It's been fun. Awesome, man. Well, hope to get you back again next week. Uh, uh, when we get back tonight, we'll uh, talk hog baseball and Robert Moore's huge weekend. Okay, so at this point, I'm sure you're all thinking, how do we find these guys' insightful opinions on social media, right? Well, it's pretty easy. You can find me on Twitter at Steve underscore NSS, and you can find my co-host Andy on Twitter at RedThunder501. And, of course, you can find our content on all social media platforms by searching Natural State Sports on your favorite social media outlet. Oh, and do me one more favor. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share this podcast, and please leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Already squaring is more. He will pull the ball back, back, and there's the base hit in the left field. Oh, Pitts is going to score. Gonzaga wouldn't take the out, and the Hawks have taken the lead. Well, that was a perfect piece of hitting. I love the conversation that Dave Van Horn had with Robert Morris, freshman. He said, you know what? They're moving all over the place. If you can just put the bat on the baseball and find a hole, there's all kinds of holes with infielders shifting and moving. Just a great job and great call by Dave Van Welcome back, everybody. I should unmute our mics. That might help. Genius. I know it, right? Hey, well, I got to keep you from clapping in the mic over there. So our homage to one Robert Moore, the 17-year-old phenom uh, up in Fayetteville right now. Man, what a weekend this dude had. Boy, did he. Coke, <clears throat> co-player, of, co-player of the week again. Say that again. Co-player of the week again. One more co- time. Co, co. Hey, it's like every time. That? Every time we get, it's like deuce. Every time we get a player of the week in the SEC, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, they're co-player of the week. I don't understand it. Now, I will say, in fairness, and I'm going to pull his stats back up because when I looked at him earlier, I thought, okay, fine, the other dude maybe deserved it. So, uh, Yeah, but he didn't have a cool defensive play like Robert Moore did. Yeah, no, he didn't. Bryce Blom, Texas A&M's Bryce Blom, whatever, was the only player in the league to record double digits in either runs, 12, RBIs, 10. He also led the SEC in doubles with five, stolen bases with five, and he walked nine times. His stretch included scoring multiple runs in every contest and reaching base at least three times in all five games. So, five. Blah. Five games. Robert Moore, on the other hand, led the SEC in batting, 667. Led the SEC in on-base percentage, 750. Helped the Hogs to the rare four-game sweep, sweep of Gonzaga. Recorded a hit in every single game of the series against Gonzaga, including a multi-hit game, including multi-hit games in each of the last three. Drove in multiple runs in all four games, including a three-hit, three-RBI performance in game three. And hit a home run that he thought he just popped up and two singles in game four. Bomb Walker helped him out there. It did. It did. It pushed that ball. But he definitely did not think that he got all of it. And I guess he didn't. But that ball pushed right out of the ballpark. Dude was incredible. But I want to talk a little bit before we really get going about that clip we played on the wheel route and the slash play. So we were at the game. We had really good seats. Uh, anyone sitting and anyone watching the game, we 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 made our appearance behind the plate there a couple of times in our the yellow hats. Time <laughs> the entire game, we were right there. Uh, so hopefully That's you didn't right. miss my my uh, my shameless plug of Natural State Sports with the hoodie hanging over the wall. 
Um, but, can't read, folks. Yeah. So so Ryan Folks put out a really good breakdown of this play. And if you haven't had a chance, if you don't follow Ryan, I highly uh, encourage you to. Um, he'll actually be joining us on the podcast, I believe, next week. Fingers crossed. So um, that'd be nice. Yeah. So hopefully I didn't just let the cat out of the bag and then we get screwed on that. But <laughs> um, thinking he should be there. But uh, but that um, so that play was impressive to me. We were sitting there watching the game, and I remember more coming back. And at the time, I didn't realize that the broadcast had zoomed in on it. And I was fascinated watching more and Dave Van Horn interact in that. Um, I had even messaged Kevin Bohannon and and said something to him about it, about how fascinating it was and then how perfect the execution of the play was after the fact. I mean, this dude's 17 years old, man. Should be playing high school ball or not even starting his senior season yet. Yeah, I mean, they should, they wouldn't be playing for another week or two. I mean, it's, it is absolutely insane what he has done. Um, what did I do with my stats here? So I have to I may have to find my sheet from last week, um, but more right now is currently hitting three seventy five somewhere right in there. I think it's three seventy five. Yeah, hang on, that's what I did. I got the wrong. I have the wrong sheet in front of me. Yeah, it's three seventy five. Okay, so he's up to three seventy five. I think he batted one twenty five the first series. I'm yes. not mistaken either. Yeah, I like numbers. So Sorry. a six hundred batting average over. Um, why is this not bringing up? What is this doing? I'm trying to find the actual sheet. Oh, here we go. Just kidding. So Gonzaga series hit 667. Um, Zach Gregory was another revelation at 500. He got his first start of the season in game three, I think, right? Or did he start in the game? We No, game four. No, he started game three. That's right, game three. Um, Christian Franklin, you had some things to say about him. I call him my guy every time he does something big which he seemed to do all weekend again. I don't understand how you hit an oppo taco that has an exit velo of 104 miles an hour. It's, that's unfair. Like, that's ridiculous. It cleared both fences, uh, something like 355 feet, and off the end of the bat from what it looked like. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, the dude is stupid good. Um, you know, I've been ch- I've been shouting his name since last year, but my goodness, the, 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 the improvement the, from year one to year two is very, very evident with him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is a guy, and I, I'd have to pull the stats for last year, but I think he hit in the 250, 260 range. It fell out. He started real well, and I want to say he fell out to like 268 maybe at the end of the season. I might have that backwards. but Well, either way, I mean, he was not a 300 hitter last year, and this dude is, is I mean, he he's on pace to hit well above, well, you know, well above 300, close to 400. 440 right now. I mean, we're only seven games in, but still, I mean. Let's see. I'm trying to find those other stats real quick. Thomas doesn't count. <laughs> Six sixty seven average. No, but Thomas looked good. I mean, looked oh, good yeah. behind the plate. Uh, he had a couple hits there early. So I'm uh, impressed how he hides all that hair under that catcher's helmet. Right. Right. <laughs> he jumped out there and looked like Pedro from from Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. And I mean, it was, let's see. Okay, this was the stats. I was this. Is what I thought I printed for us. Of course, I messed that up again this week. Uh, so Look for Dominic. So Christian Franklin is actually leading the team in batting average right now at 440. He's played all seven games, uh, started all seven games with 25 at-bats. Heston Kerstad's right behind it. Well, I, I say right behind him. Heston Kerstad's actually a good bit behind him at 393. Nothing to slouch about, but, again, Franklin hitting 440. and uh, In the Kerstad, middle of the order, basically, too. Yeah. yeah, and, I mean, they slid him down this week to, for, to add a little more protection um, you know, Moore is currently hitting 375. And like you said, he was hitting somewhere in the 125. Hard to range. protect somebody who's going to strike out. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get into that here in Sorry. just a minute. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a minute. But currently, Arkansas has one, two, three, four, four guys hitting over three hundred that are, I mean, that are highly that are that are playing every game that have more than twenty five at bats. So, um, you know, Arkansas and the, the offense is is doing its thing, and it's doing its thing without Casey Martin. Yeah, he's just. Uh... Not sure what to think about Casey other than in his head it needs to slow down. Well, it's interesting too because I listened to the press conference a little bit, and uh, Moore was actually making that comment about how Martin's been telling him to slow it down, you know, not not speed the game up in his head. And it's wild when you see this. So I made this comment, and, and people really, some folks gave me hell for it. Some people um, seem to understand my point behind it. But yeah, I made the point that maybe at some point here, especially if if Martin struggles in this series coming up down in Houston. Um, maybe he needs to be benched for a midweek game. And, and I'm not saying bench the guy for weeks. I'm saying sit the guy down, get him a meeting with a sports psychologist, and get him out of his head. Because right now it just seems like – so So take the, the – the, he had what, two errors this weekend, I think. Um, yeah, I think it was two. He's now got three errors on the year. That's correct. Um, leads the team in errors. And so um, let me pull up his full stats. So right now Casey Martin – is hitting a poultry 208 and 24 at bats. He uh, did hit a home run finally. He did a, hit a home run, and that was an argument that was posed to me. Well, it looked like he was locked in on that. Well, I mean, a lot of guys, swing. a lot of guys are locked in on a fastball that hangs right over the middle at 88 miles an hour. I mean, your most good hitters are going to hit that ball out of the ballpark. So, and they're not taking anything away from Casey. I mean, but at the same time, that was one at bat, and and yes, I know. Afterwards, they asked him about it, and he felt it made him feel better. The team really rallied rallied around him. It was like a party in the dugout, and it was big for him. I mean, I know it's a confidence boost, but it was right after that, I believe. Was it at? I can't remember. If it was before? I think it was after that on the play when Kerstad was coming to score, and Martin is just hanging out. Oh, he's so he's the batter he on deck at all, and he should be behind the plate, letting Kerstad know, get down, you're good, whatever. You're standing in the on deck circle, and he went the well, whole time. Yeah, he wasn't paying any attention to what was going on. That is signs of a guy that's just not mentally locked in right now, for whatever reason. If it's maybe he's not mentally locked in because of his struggles, but when you see him boot routine ground balls and then dirt routine throws to first, and then strike out as much as he is right now, you know. Some folks say, oh, he's just starting slow. He's just struggling right now. I lay off him. He'll be I mean, fine. He's only got eight on the year. <laughs> <laughs> so he may be fine. Don't get me wrong. He and, and I assume he will be fine, and he'll be the first-round pick that we all expect him to be. It's cold. It's hard to get into a rhythm this early in the season. So I'm not, you know, I'm. this is not me bashing on Casey Martin, but I am concerned. And the reason I'm concerned is because last year he regressed towards the end of the year. He was awful in the tournament and in, and in Omaha. And now he's open this season playing pretty much the same way. And and I think what frustrates me, and I made this point last night, so Casey Martin had an opportunity to go play for the USA baseball team this summer. Casey Martin turned down that opportunity to play for the USA baseball as a, basically it was a mutual parting of the ways because he wanted to play shortstop and they wanted him to play in the outfield. Now, my problem with that is here's an opportunity for you to play with the best in the world, whether it be in the outfield, shortstop, you're going to get a chance to improve your hitting, pitch recognition. And I'm not saying he didn't do that when he came home, but when he didn't play any summer leagues, he didn't play anywhere. 
And and I know he worked. I'm not saying he, didn't, he just came home and set. He came home and worked his butt off. But there's something to be said about playing against that kind of talent. Look what Christian Franklin did. I mean, Christian Franklin shows up at their summer ball program. California. In California. And Jack's a home run on his very first at bat. And look what difference it's made coming off into this plane. year. Off the plane. Yeah. Walks off the plane. Same day. Yeah. And so, I mean, you think about the you know, what it does for these guys and the improvement it gives them. There, there's a lot to be said about these guys playing against that quality of competition all summer long and honing in their craft. And and so maybe that plays into it. I really don't know what the story is, what the issue is right now. Um, but it does look like kind of a lack of mental. You know, we know that we know the talents there, you know, the skills. There. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's been, it's been tough to watch. It's been fairly frustrating to, to see him struggle. Um, you know, it's hard on him. I mean, it's, it's way harder on him than it is any of us, but um, man, just, just just a frustrating weekend again, I think, for Casey. Hopefully against better talent he shows out this week down at Minute Maid Park. Yeah, then maybe they won't be afraid to challenge him anyway. Yeah, well, I mean He we'll, did I mean, I think it was the Saturday game, I think he struck out three times. Yeah, his first three at bats. And that was against like Alex Jacobs, who's I believe Gonzaga's best pitcher. Yeah. Well, I, and I'll tell you what. That, he challenged him every time and, and won every time. Made it look easy a couple times. Yeah, he did. Now, I'll say this, though. That kid that they play, they started on Sunday was pretty dead mm-hmm. good, too. So, Gonzaga's going to win the West Coast Conference. That, that's a good ball club that we just took four from. Um, they, they're going to continue to grow and get better. They had some guys that really surprised me. They hit Their that. first baseman struck Casey Martin out. Yeah, did he? At the end of the game, they they brought him off the first base and oh, really? put him on the that. mound, and, and yeah, he faced Martin. Oh, I guess I missed that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't remember who it was in game two. I may actually have it here. Let me pull this back up. Um, pull this box score up from game two if it'll work. Um, I'll, I'll say this about Gonzaga. They had – I don't remember who the guy was. Uh, let's see. It'll be right here. Home runs. Oh. Talking about the Spilicity guy or whoever the Spilicity. dude was that put the ball basically almost in the on the street outside the stadium um, that got thrown. Gabriel back. Hughes. He he absolutely annihilated that. He baseball. was the first baseman. Yeah, big big boy. Yeah, he's he, like six four, huge. He was like Mister Baseball Idaho two years in a row or something like that. I don't know what it is. That ball got launched. Uh, <coughs> Casey Opitz and Casey Opitz was huge, on, especially game two. Yeah, he should have had two home runs in that game. If it wasn't for the height of that right fielder, he would have had. Both. Yeah, I'm surprised the dude didn't catch it. Yeah. I mean, um, but as, what was he a single short of the cycle, right? Or no, a double uh, short, of the, short of the cycle. We had, had a triple a, off that one. Yeah, home run and, and then a home single. run the play after that. So. Yeah. so a double short of the cycle for Opitz. Um, just this team, He's they just animal this year. I like watching him at the plate. Yeah. And the good thing, you know, he can hit from both sides. He definitely looks much more comfortable from the left side, yeah, um, does. which is where he crushed both of those balls. The second one was an absolute no-doubter. Um, good attendance this weekend, considering the weather. It was really cold on Friday. It wasn't um, that bad. Oh, my legs froze, man. I was Wimp. I was, I was, was good till that sun went behind the awning, and then it was chilly. Maybe it helps I can't feel part of mine. So. Maybe so. Maybe that's a big part of it. And I didn't drink any beer because I wasn't spending eight or ten bucks a beer, whatever it was. So did buy a cool hat though. Yeah, we did buy cool hats. I think my son has stolen the 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 red one though. So 
<laughs> probably fits his head better than it does. It actually, ears. it does. That was a little tight, but it fits his head perfectly. My, that child's got a big old head. Yeah, he got a melon. Yeah. So Arkansas gets the four-game sweep, as we said. Uh, outscored Gonzaga 30-13. to 13. Uh, That puts them at like, I don't remember what the numbers are. It's crazy. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but they never went away. Like, you'd get a couple runs on them, and in the very next frame, they were putting one or two back. Yeah. And they were staying there. I was like, golly, can we not pull it away and just shut this down? Yeah. And it was interesting. Every game. Because Gonzaga was that team, you know, you they chirped a lot in their dugout. A lot. Yeah, there was a lot of chatter. Yeah. Christian Franklin had something to say about some pickoff throws. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I think Martin might have had something to say about being intentionally walked. I still think they have the greatest player name on any team I've ever oh, seen. Oh, Lord. Oh, boy. Coach's son. I don't know why you would name your child Jack when you have that last name. Maktoff. Whatever, man. Whatever works for you. Y'all figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Just just put those words together. Maybe Jack change a couple Mactoff. letters. Jack It was Jack interesting. Maktoff. Say it a little slower. Jack Maktoff. Oh, there it went. See? Yep. That, that, that'll do it. So, so Arkansas is up to number six in D1, which is the only poll that really matters. <laughs> That's a hell of a transition, right? Oh, man. Would you look at the time? Right. I think it's time to move on. No. Uh, but Arkansas is number six by D1. Probably, to me, the only poll that makes a crack bit of sense. Uh, Baseball America at least didn't move us into the top ten, but everything ahead of us is dumb. Um, and then College Baseball Nation has a power rankings out, and they have Arkansas at number one. Um, maybe a little generous. Florida yeah. looked pretty darn good this weekend, and they get to come to Fayetteville. That's going to be a lot of fun. I um, like what I saw out of Patrick Wicklander on Saturday as well. Wick that did dude. look really good on Saturday. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think we only allowed like two hits in that game, though. It's like a 5 nothing final, and I'm pretty sure they had two hits. That sounds right, because I – where was that? I got. I had to. Hang That's on. incredible, in my opinion, in, in this day and age in college ball to do that because most of the time you don't have a, a monster ace that's going to ride out there like you do in pro ball. Well, this was some and two hits in any league is really astounding. Yeah. So Wicklander retired the first five batters he faced. Then, after a mound visit from pitching coach Matt Hobbs, following a walk and a hit by pitch in the second inning, he proceeded to retire the next eight batters in a row. Didn't give his first hit till the fifth inning on a single up the middle. Uh, and, but with two away, Casey Opitz gunned them down trying to steal second, which ended the inning. <laughs> yeah, Casey was kind of airing a little bit on Friday. I noticed that. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, well, you know, the so the first stolen base on him, it was almost like he didn't even realize they were stealing. He was really late to come through, and it went right through Moore's glove and into center field, which actually ended up allowing Gonzaga to get a couple runs that inning. Well, they got to third on that one, if I'm not mistaken, and that guy got picked off at third, though. I thought he scored. First game? In, in game two, in the game we were at. Not sure about that one. I thought he scored. I'm pretty sure he scored. But either way. Too much sleep since then. Yeah. Opitz wasn't, you know, Opitz didn't have his, <clears throat> his A game on Friday. But, of course, Saturday he looked really good again. Um, and, and so, but, A game yeah. at the plate. It's not A game behind the plate. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He made up for those couple of bad mm-hmm. throws with, with his bat on Friday for sure. But, um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was impressive. This, this. This team looks really good going forward. Um, we're going to learn a lot about this baseball team, though, in Houston at the Shriners so Classic. about some of the younger pitchers, Zach Morris uh, in Man. particular. So, yeah. So, Zach Morris. That's a big kid. I, I need to play the Save by the Bell tune here. Um, I, I need to, I'm going to have to have that ready for next time. Um, so, we were watching. So, we were actually sitting next to a couple of scouts. And we asked him, said, uh, said, what is the gun compared to what's showing up up there on the scoreboard? He said, it's about, a, they said the board is usually about a mile prior faster. Um, 
Zach Morris comes in the first pitch he throws, they put the gun on him and the board showed 95 and it was 94 on the gun. That boy can huck it now. That, it's like six four two fifteen, straight out of high school. Yeah, straight out of cabin. He's throwing gas. Yeah, and, and a great name, a fantastic name. And then he came back in on Sunday and threw as well and looked good. So Yeah, he had a little more tro- trouble on Sunday from what it looked like. Yeah. It wasn't near as smooth as Friday's game. but Yeah, it was wet. Still came out successful. It was wet and not great on, on, on Sunday either. So surprised they got four <laughs> games in. We didn't really think they would or if they did, they'd do double headers, but it was just a misty nastiness. So... Looking at the top 25, man, any surprises in there to you? If you have that in front of you. I do have it in front of me. Um, I like Tennessee coming in, you know. I don't know how I said I like Tennessee. but <laughs> They deserve I, to be in there. I did. I mean, they, they played Texas Tech over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they had a couple of different games. It was a little, I think, a tournament. And they, they did beat Texas Tech in one of those. And uh, UCF, um, <laughs> they beat Auburn like a drum. Took all three of them. Impressively. Like, now they're ranked above them. So. Yeah, and they should be. I mean, Auburn struggled. You know, Louisville at four and three, still in the top three, is it's a little questionable to me. I, I don't have any problem with Miami still being in the top ten. Um, I think D1 got it right with dropping Michigan all the way outside the top 15 to number 16. Um, you know, they looked pretty good in week one and have since really fallen off. They went one and two last week. Um, I think they lost to like Connecticut or something. They didn't play anybody overly. Like UConn. Connecticut. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, but Arkansas opens this thing up with their first real true test. I mean, number 22, Oklahoma is who they're going to start this, uh, the, the Shriners classic off with. So Texas and we finish with Baylor from not mistaken. That's correct. So, um, Do we wear the mustard yellow hat. All weekend, or is it just a one-game thing? So we open with Oklahoma. I, so I don't, I can't see them wearing anything that color against Baylor. Um, no, but and probably not. I think they'll wear it to open against Oklahoma. Whatever is going to go with that yellow hat, I think is going to be worn on on Friday. Come out there looking like a bunch of hot dogs. <laughs> hey, it'll be cool. It's for a good cause. So yeah, that's for sure. It is for a good cause. Cancer they better sucks. go all the way. Uh, yeah, that's no doubt about that. Absolutely. So. But yeah, I mean, looking forward to it. Obviously, Kevin and I will break down these matchups uh, on around the diamond this week, so don't miss that. But um, looking forward to it. I know uh, Wes, who's been with us a couple of times on the podcast, is going to be down there, so hopefully he can get us some uh, some good information while he's there. Um, so looking for still going to. You know, I don't know. I got to find out. I know that they had talked about going, but um, I'm not real sure. So I got to find out if Zach's going to be down there. If so, then we'll have some natural state sports folks in the area for it as well. Um, Might break out his live show. Right? Yeah, you know what? He should. He should just do the live show from inside the stadium. That would be uh, that would be fantastic. So, coming up, we're going to chat about the beating that Deontay Wilder took on Friday oh, night. Man, don't remind me. Dude, his face was jacked. Support for this episode of Inside the Natural State is provided by Mountain Valley Spring Water. Bottled continuously since 1871, right here in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Mountain Valley Spring Water has been the go-to for U.S. Presidents, Elvis, Sugar Ray Robinson, and even Triple Crown winner Secretariat. Visit mountainvalleyspring.com to find your local distributor today. Wilder just coasting back into that neutral corner, and now Fury's looking to split the guard as Wilder's in bad shape. 
winner by way of technical knockout. He is still the undefeated Lydia heavyweight champion and the new WBC heavyweight champion of the world, the Gypsy King, Tyson Fury. Man, that was one heck of a fight. Well, for one side, it was. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm glad Fury won it. I didn't think he would dominate in the fashion he did. No, I didn't. That was... I was on the side of Wilder. It was yeah. ugly, man. I mean, Wilder never really stood in. The first round, he landed one really big shot, a good jab. The first round was exciting. The right side, or the left side of Fury's face would tell you he landed more than just that. Of Fury's face? Yeah, he had a couple, couple of... Couple of pop knots and stuff going on. He a little bit, but man, he didn't he take didn't too have much near damage. the pop knots if you Wilder did. No, no. I mean that that so the busted ruptured eardrum or whatever. God, it was rough. It was bad. I mean, they were so the commentators were talking about throughout the fight. I mean, every time they got sprayed with blood, every time he'd hit mm-hmm. it, shoot out of his ears and his mouth. Uh of course there's the the picture going around of, of what looks to be Wilder's. His tongue. Yeah. Oh well that. I mean when he licked the blood off. We told him he wanted to taste his blood. Yeah, he did. And he did. He tasted it and then he proceeded to finish him off in just Quickly. dominant, brutal fashion. I mean, so it seems, so I've watched uh, not a lot of boxing. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a boxing expert at all. I like watching Fury box. He's a showman yeah, and he is a heck of a boxer. When it comes down to actually boxing, the guy can get down as far as his movement for a man, his size is just absolutely ridiculous. He moves like a middleweight for the most part. Well, and he's not. It's not even that he's. You know, he, he's extremely impressive from a from a talent standpoint, obviously, but from a boxing smarts standpoint. I mean, the way he fought. I mean, he said it before the fight. You know, it, when he got knocked down in the in the first he fight, saw something. He saw something, and he knew that if he went after and he took the fight to to Wilder, that he would have a better shot this time. And yeah, you're not waiting on that bomb to hit you every time that that can tee off on you if you're sitting on it waiting to come to him. All it takes is one, and, yeah. and that's proven. And I don't, I still don't think he understands how he got up that first time. Right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, you look, I'm looking at the official scorecards over here. I mean, it was obviously dominant. I think one of the judges somehow gave six one. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at it, it was actually two of the judges had it, you know, unanimous for Fury. Uh, one of the judges, a blue judge, had it, um, gave. It uh, looks like it gave Wilder one round. Uh, I think it was see, the fifth. They took a point away from uh, away from Tyson, uh, which in the fifth would have made it even. A, a, well, a ten nine because it was a ten eight round on everybody's card. He did knock card. him down though, right? So it would have been a nine eight. Yeah. Well, it was a so that round was a ten eight on everybody's cards um, in the fifth. They took a point away, so would have been Same a nine thing. eight. Would have been a nine Still eight round. round for him. Either way, he won every round except for one, according to one judge. I mean, it was. It was pure dominance. I was kind of torn on on that. It's, part of me thinks that, you know, Wilder is in every fight. As long as he's standing up, the man has a chance to win it. Yeah. And his knockout record proves that. Even against the best in the world and who he just fought, that was way better than the first time he fought him. But, I mean, there were several fights. The last time they fought, he was behind the whole fight. Uh, the Ortiz fight, I think it was the guy's name he just knocked out before this one. He was behind, I think, six rounds in that fight when he knocked him out in the seventh. I mean, he's not that great. He's, I don't want to use the wrong term in saying he's not that great of a boxer, but he's, 
I mean, he's a power puncher, and that's what he is. So and he's good at it. So two things that surprised me, though. So, you know, and, of course, the commentators made mention of it, but his corner didn't seem to help him at all. His corner looked terrible in that fight. It was – they didn't they, – they just seemed they to tell him just, what to just do. keep going, keep going. They, they never gave him any kind of decent fight advice, you know, nothing to do to, to you know, to counter anything that Fury was doing. If he's ever going to get better than what he is – He's going to have to do what Fury did. Fury changed coaches or changed whatever you call it, trainer. I guess you would call it a trainer. But he changed trainers completely before this fight to fight this fight. Yeah. And it was a risk, but look what it did. Right. I I mean, like I said, I'm just not surprised at the outcome, at least Fury winning. Surprised at how dominantly he won it. Um, I did find this interesting. I think this this came out on Bleacher Report today. Um well, before I get to that, one question that I had: Do you agree with with his corner throwing in the towel? Yes and no. Uh, from a safety standpoint, absolutely. I mean, after that knockdown in the third round, he just he wasn't doing well before that, but he really wasn't doing well. He never really truly recovered. I mean, the body shot. There were a couple of times he hit the ground. One of them where he tripped, and like I said, I mean the. There's some questionable stuff there, but at the same time as he wasn't the Deontay Wilder that I've ever seen fight before. And I've seen several of his and it's just, that's not how he usually goes. But there again, usually he's not the one that's backing up the whole time. He's the one that, I mean, if if not, you know, being the aggressor, he's standing in the middle of the ring and like trading for the most part. Yeah. Well, and that was the most surprising part to me. As to you know why his corner didn't give him any different advice, they, I don't think they know. Apparently not, because they never tried to get him to change anything. It was I mean, like the guy that stepped in front of him looked like an old grandpa. Well, and see, and some of those guys know what they're talking about, but this one looked—he almost looked clueless as to what to do. Okay, the game plan that we came up with didn't work, and we don't have a backup plan. So, good luck, buddy. I mean. If you get your head beat in too much, you know, we'll throw in a towel so it doesn't stop you. But, but then that's just what makes you wonder. I mean, he was mad about the stoppage. I mean, I can't blame him as a as a, a competitor. You know, I see where you would want to continue. And, and as he said, he, he would want to ride out on his shield. But, you know, with, from a safety standpoint, live to fight another day, learn from your mistakes. They did the right thing. Well, you think, I mean, you'd think, but at the same time, they weren't helping him out at all. So now no. you're, you're going to throw the towel in and pull him out of a fight that – you weren't giving him any help in. So he said after the fight, he said, I'd rather die in the ring than have the towel thrown in. And that he'd also, he said, while revealing, he will also reevaluate whether he will keep assistant trainer, Mark Breland. Um, so he, he's kind of been on the excuses tour. You know, of course he wanted to finish, which any fighter would, they don't want the towel being thrown in. I say any, there's been a few fights I've seen where they, <laughs> the, the, the fighter wanted that towel thrown in. Um, but he also had harsh words for ref for Bayless, um, you know, alleging Bayless declined to effectively confront Fury over a slew of punches to the back of Wilder's head. He did complain neck. about that knockdown in the third round almost immediately. Yeah. Like as he popped up, I mean, they gave him a standing eight, like if you saw the fight. Right. And he was complaining about it and tapping the back of his head. And I mean, I mean, in the replay, the shot was behind the ear, but I mean, how what are you going to do? Pull back or, or take it away? Right. Regardless if it's behind the head or not, even if they did penalize him, they could penalize him five points. You still got stopped four rounds later. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. That's kind of the. It was not going to make a difference in the fight. Right. And that's kind of the point. I mean, he has, um, he has already. Um, he he wants has to a back rematch and, clause. Yeah, and he's already exer- he's already exercised it. 
um, from what I've seen. The money's pretty lucrative in that rematch too, though. So, <laughs> so I think they made like 25 mil a piece off of that one off the top of my head. And that's not including, uh, they were guaranteed that, not including what pay-per-view will be. be. Yeah. And the next one is supposed to be like a 60-40 split of Fury's way, if I'm not mistaken. Well, so the funniest thing to me, so the, the entries, their, their ring walk in. Yeah, walk the goes, ring walks are wild. Holy cow. Dude um, comes into 1961, Pat <laughs> crazy. Sitting on a Sitting throne. on a crown. That was fantastic. Or on a throne with a crown yeah. on it. But so, so Wilder blames part of his loss on the 45 pound costume he was wearing when he walked in, when, when he walked in the ring. Well, who put the costume on? I, so you telling me you hadn't worn that thing the whole time, but it, he's saying that it wore down his legs. No, that big old six foot nine, 270 <laughs> plus pounder laying on top of you was what wore you out. Yeah. That's what brought those. And that was the, he- his, he came in at 231. That's the heaviest he's ever fought at, you know, blim blam, whatever you want to call it. You know, you're going to make excuses. Watch how Mike Tyson used to walk to the ring mm-hmm. in a cut towel with the head stuck between it, wearing his shorts and his gloves, ready to rock. That's right. You don't need all that jazz. It looks cool, but look what it got him. Well, and I mean, gave him an excuse. Oh, I wore a suit; it was too heavy, and I got tired quick. Yeah, man. No, you're a professional athlete, bud. There's no way that. I mean, he shouldn't have even felt that 45 pound costume. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that's ridiculous. So, it's a pretty heavy costume. It is, but I mean, come on. This is a this is a massive man. Come on, six like, foot seven basketball player. Telling me those legs felt that. Give me a break. So, anyway, I mean, I you know, I, it was a fun fight it. to watch. I, I might actually pay for the next one. <clears throat> so we'll see. I'll come over if you do. <laughs> or just what? Anyway, can't say that on here. We might get no. In trouble. You can't. So they did have an interesting thing here in Little Rock. Um, one of the theaters here in town. It was the Breckenridge. It's over off of Four Thirty and Rodney Parham. Actually showed the fight on one of their screens. If I remember right, it was like twenty one eighty a person to get in. Yeah, I think and you got to like watch bucks. it on just a movie screen. Right. And it's gonna be loud. I think it's kind of a, I think next time if they do one, I might try to do that. That would be cool. I mean, Breckenridge doesn't serve. That was a late, late show, though. They don't serve alcohol, though. See, I'd have to be able to sit there and drink or something to be able to do that. Depends on what time of year and how your pockets are. (laughs) This is true. Uh, See, but I can, well, no, no, no. Either way, we'll figure it out. They're going to fight again. I don't, I don't, I don't purchase a lot of the boxing fights, but maybe six to eight months out. Probably, I'll, I'll jump on this one. Uh, so, in some other news, uh, Hogs this week is the uh, NFL scouting combine. Hogs have four guys invited: Dijon Scuda Harris, Sosa Aguim, Cam Curl, and Cheyenne O'Grady will all be participating this week. Um, the way this, the, the schedules line up, each position group works out on a different day. Uh, CJ will work out on Thursday. Uh, and then Scooter and Aguim will work out Saturday with Cam Curl closing the show on Sunday with Let's the defensive good backs. Good stuff for all four of those guys. They all are four very deserving, and I'd like to see them do well. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times there's a guy or two that I really want to pay more attention to. But this year, I mean, I want to see all, all four of these guys. I mean, O'Grady and the story, and, you know, everybody's well aware of oh, what happened. And players, he is. It. It's just a matter of how much he can help his draft stock. Right. And so I'm really curious to see how he looks. Uh, of course, Scooter, um, you know, he was he was slowed down a little this year, I think, by an injury. I don't think that's come out, but early I, season he was just he he was a, definitely a step slower this he year. Got so. Banged up and was out. Was it the first game or the second game of the year? Yeah, it was. I think early. it was against Ole Miss that yeah. he went out and didn't play the second half. And it was kind of he looked kind of hobbled. I mean, 
What do you do though? Yeah. You go lay on the bench or you say, I'm going with it. I'm going to deal with it. Well, and when he, you, you're basically the only linebacker option you have, I mean, it's, you can't not have him on the field. So, you know, Scooter's, he definitely was the, he's the epitome of how, how tough some of these upperclassmen really were that guys gave a lot of hell to. So I'm really looking forward to him. Sosa, um, man. So people, you know, we, we've had this conversation on the podcast before about, you know, why he struggled so much while he was here. He was such a highly touted. I don't recruit. think he was bought in. You know what? I don't I, think he cared. I've I don't even well, maybe at some point this Later. year it got to that point, but I don't think that's the issue. I think again, this was the best guy on the defensive line. Now he struggled mightily at times. Um but I didn't even know he was there almost. But I mean, he struggled technique wise. But again, how many coaches did this guy go through while he was on the hill? I want to say it was three or four. At least. Um, you know, so he he was definitely put behind the eight ball there. He played you know, three different positions while he was. He I played still wanted to see line. him return a kickoff. That yeah, <laughs> he he played every position on the line. Um, you know, and so it, the guy just—I don't feel like he ever had a great chance to consistently get better. So hopefully, this is his opportunity. And then, of course, Cam Curl, man. Me and you talked about that during the season. I told you I thought he was going to go, and you told me otherwise. And I'm 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 gonna hold that card on that one. On I. I st- I mean, he's gone, obviously. I think he'll do okay. I still think he made the wrong choice. Well, yeah. That's my opinion. It's not based well. on me having any expertise in scouting, but I think Cam could have benefited from another year back with real coaches versus. But again, can't blame him. Um, coach, you know, he's coach's son. He wants to move on. Um, you know, I hope he does really, really well this week. He will. And, and I hope he gets drafted. Right now, I'm not seeing anybody that's higher than about a fifth round draft pick. Oh, Grady's your best option if if things work out for him in interviews. I think that's the the play on the field is not going to be nearly as important All as field stuff, which yeah. I am. So we'll see how that works with with O'Grady. We all know that though, right? So I hope that everything. You know, I hope he has a great week. Hope all four of these guys have a great week. Um, so, in other news, we have idiot of the week this week. This is a rough one, man. It is. Carl's not going to join us for it this week, but. Um, so any of you guys who no. know, and, 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 and look, flat earthers, I apologize if this offends you. I don't. But I don't really. I'm just saying that. I'm not lying. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I don't care. Go walk off the flat earth if you really believe go find that. Go the end and jump and tell me what happened. Or go jump in a rocket ship with Mike Hughes. <clears throat> so, um, <sighs> yeah. So if those of you who don't know who Mad Mike Hughes is, he's 67-ish, 64, however. Well, he's not anymore. Well, that's where he, that's when it ended. So, Stopped. Um, so this guy, like, he's self-proclaimed daredevil. Apparently, he's got all the money in the world. Um, he holds the Guinness World Record for ramping a, a, a stretch limousine like a hundred and some odd feet. I don't remember how far it was, but um, Holy. so over the weekend, Mad Mike, who just a few months ago built his own homemade rocket that he was going to shoot himself powered, yeah, steam powered, that he was going to shoot himself into the in, into the atmosphere so that he could actually look with his own eyes and see if the world was round or flat. So he did this a few months ago, and he crash landed pretty heavily. Hurt his back, had to sit around for a bit, gets better, builds another rocket, sets it up in the middle of the desert. Wadded it up like a cheap launch. Yeah. So. No parachute. The world is indeed round. The, the Gravity is indeed a thing. And the California desert is indeed flat. At least where he hit it. It might be a little bit more indented. Well, there's a crater there now. So. Um, it didn't explode, though. I mean. It, 
if you haven't seen the video, it's I shared it on my Twitter page, but it's basically this dude shoots off on the rocket and the parachute gets hung up on the apparatus that they shoot the rocket out of. Deploys on off. the way up. Well, I think what it was was it got caught on something yeah, on the way up, which ripped it out. And come off the rocket. And he got, I don't know how high you think he was. Oh, it was several. It was a pretty good bit. You think he was, what, six, 800 feet in the air? Maybe more Maybe than that? Maybe a little more than that. I mean, it's hard to tell, especially from video. Well, all I know is that rocket turned over and nosedived straight down into the California Just desert. Just like a dart or so, an arrow. So poor little old, uh, so I'm trying to find a sound over here if I can find the right one. It's a fun one. It fits the right way. Splat. So no, <laughs> that would have been a good oh, one yeah. too. Um, but I think this one, this one probably fits as well for our idiot of the week, Mad Mike Hughes. Oh, just kidding. How about that? What the hell were you thinking? Well, oh, I cut don't out. think he was thinking. No, he wasn't. I don't think he was either. He's not thinking now. I can promise you that. Well, I mean, you'd think that you'd kind of have a, maybe a ejecto-cito cuz, but uh, <laughs> guess not. You, you, would think he would have, you would think he would have something for sure. A secondary? I mean, skydivers have a secondary. Yeah, sure. I mean, something that's not... I don't need a parachute where I'm going. Well, he don't need one now. That's No, he just needs a box. That's for sure. Let me switch this board out again here real quick. We will not see another steam rocket. No, I don't think we will. By him, at least. Yeah. So, um, I'm just kidding. I keep playing the wrong buttons over here. Idiot. And I even wrote it all down, and I still screwed it up. You're our idiot of the week next week if you keep doing this. I probably am going to be the idiot of the week. Carl will have a conversation with you, bud. That should be interesting. That should be extremely interesting. Well, that's just just about going to do it for us this week. Don't forget to join Kevin Bohannon and I as we go around the diamond and preview this week's biggest baseball games in the state. Do it. That'll be out on Wednesday. Until next week, Woo Pig. Woo Pig. You can find me on Twitter at Steve underscore NSS, and you can find my co-host Andy on Twitter at RedThunder501. And, of course, you can find our content on all social media platforms by searching Natural State Sports on your favorite social media outlet. Oh, and do me one more favor. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share this podcast, and please leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing.